Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary. Happy Friday. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in on this Fights and Football Friday. Uh, the football is on a different episode. This one is all about the fights as we look at UFC 297 plus some gigantic news across the world of professional wrestling over the last 24 hours. We will get into where does Kazuchika Okada go from here? Where does the WWE go from here with Seth Rollins uh, going down with an injury? A lot to discuss on this show today. As always, thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like this video and subscribe to the channel. If you are listening in podcast form, make sure you leave a review and hit that subscription button. That stuff helps me out greatly. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email the show, Couch Potato Diary at yahoo.com. All right, let's get right into it. UFC 297 this weekend. Let's break it down. Previewing UFC 297. Uh, let's get into it. The card goes from um, Toronto, Ontario. I was going to call it the Air Canada Centre. It's definitely not that anymore. Uh, goes from Toronto, Ontario as the promotion makes its return to Canada and its return to Sportsnet. And just quickly, I am um, I'm kind of impressed at how Sportsnet has handled things so far. This is, I, I think, a smart move by the UFC coming to Canada for the first show on the Sportsnet deal. Um, I don't know how planned that was or, or if it just happened to be a coincidence, but Sportsnet is treating this like a big deal. And I believe it's the first time you can order a pay-per-view through Sportsnet now. So we'll see how that all goes coming up on Saturday night. But Sportsnet is taking this very, very seriously. They have hired the best um, journalist in the country and in the sport in Aaron Bronstetter to to come in and kind of head up the charge. They have some established writers doing this. Mike Johnston is someone who I had on Combat Central back in the day covering MMA. He's back on the beat. Uh, Arden Zwelling has has stepped up. Um, I, I believe Haley McGoldrick has done some as well. So some very talented people working on this on the Sportsnet side. So we'll, we will see what comes of it. Uh, but it's interesting to click on the league tabs on Sportsnet now and see the ultimate fighting championship sitting there um all right let's get into it shall we let we, we will start from the bottom and work our way up looking uh, just at the main card for for this one arnold allen taking on mavsar evloev uh, i apologize i, I pronounced it uh, way off earlier this week um allen coming in in the featherweight division at 29 years old out of ipswich england training at tristar with a record of 19 and 2 seven wins by knockout four by submission uh both of his losses coming by um judges scorecards including his last fight ufc on espn he took on max holloway it did not go well for him it ends a 12 fight winning streak that saw him pick up four stoppages along the way he beat calvin cater dan hooker sadiq yusuf Nick Lentz and Gilbert Melendez at varying points in their careers obviously um, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue that Allen beat peak Gilbert Melendez by any stretch of the imagination but them's the names on the resume uh, he's been in the UFC since 2015 the, the fight with Holloway the first loss in 11 bouts he's been a pro since 2012 where he started on a seven fight win streak standing at five foot nine with a 70 inch reach advantage he is a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Taking on Mavsar Evloev, 29 years old, born in Russia, training at American Top Team. 17 fights, 17 wins, 7 stoppages, 4 by knockout, 3 by submission, the rest by decision, including UFC 288 against Diego Lopez, his 7th straight win in UFC to start his run in the Ultimate Proving Ground. All 7 of those victories coming by way of decision since starting with the promotion in 2019. He is the former N1, uh, M1 global bantamweight champion at five foot eight 
with a 72 and a half inch reach advantage. He's been a pro since 2015. Really interesting fight. Couple of guys who are starting to come into their athletic primes. Um, and both of them with some impressive resumes here. Like, obviously, Allen against Holloway was a gigantic step up and it did not go particularly well for him. Um, but still, I, I think a talented fighter. Like, you don't beat Calvin Cater and Dan Hooker by accident. So this is a, um, this is a skilled fighter, for, for sure. Um, going up against Evlev, who has been just an absolute dominant force so far. Like I said, 17 wins, 17 decisions. Uh, not 17 decisions. Uh, 17 wins, 17 fights so far in his professional MMA career. And I expect that to go 18. Um, I think Evlev gets the job done here against Arnold Allen. Allen is good, but I think Evlev could be something kind of special here in the featherweight division. So I will give the edge to the Russian on that one. Uh, Russian by decision by the way. Uh, that will come up a little bit later on. We move to the middleweight division, and it is Chris Curtis taking on Marc-Andre Barrio um, in the middleweight division, as mentioned before. Curtis is 36 years old, born in Cincinnati, Ohio, training at Extreme Couture. 30-10 and 10 with one no contest in his professional career. 17 wins by walk, uh, knockout, one by submission. Um, he has been finished twice in his career, once by knockout, once by submission. Uh, his last bout was actually a no contest against Nazruddin Imamov, uh, Imavov, sorry, at UFC 289 in Vancouver. He had lost two of three heading into that bout. I will say the losses were against Gastelum and Hermanson, uh, both of them by decision. He's been with the promotion since 2021, four and two in that time with the one no contest, three of his wins coming by knockout. Um, he has fought in Canada before and actually uh, an Alberta tie as yes, he's uh, born in Cincinnati, Ohio, but he has fought in Medicine Hat and Lethbridge uh, with Z Promotions. He's been a pro since 2009 and actually lost his MMA debut, but has bounced back. He's a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, standing 5'10 with a 75-inch reach. Barrio is 33 years old, born in Gatineau, Quebec, so I'm definitely saying Barrio wrong. Uh, training at Sanford MMA, 16-6 with one no contest, 10 wins by knockout, one by submission. Uh, he has been knocked out once and submitted once in his career. His last win was the year, uh, his last fight was his last win, a unanimous decision victory over Eric Anders at UFC 289. Uh, that gives him back-to-back -back wins. He's won three of his last four, and he's finished two of those three. Um, he started his UFC career with three straight losses and a positive drug test and has gone five and two since then. So he's five and five in the UFC with the one no contest. Um, a two division champion in TKO in the middleweight and light heavyweight division. He's fought 22 times, I guess technically 23, uh, the one no contest there. Um, but 15 of the 23 have been in Canada. So nice little tidbit there. Pro since 2014. He's six foot one with a 73 inch reach. Um, and he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt. Curtis is a, a pretty big favorite in, in this bout. That There is no question about that. He is... I would say um, internally probably higher up on the rankings than the than Barrio is, but I, I think there's something with Marc Andre here. We, we saw last time Canadian fighters balled out in Vancouver. I'm not going to say it, it's going to be a great run, like the, the Canadians are going to go seven and two or something like that, but. I, I do think Barrio's being slept on here a little bit. The, being a, a two division champion in TKO is nothing to sleep, uh, nothing to sleep on, and it feels like he's figured something out here. He is a, a significant underdog. This could be an underdog play. Um, I, I, I like underdog. Um, sorry, I like Barrio as a underdog pick in this particular bout. Moving into the welterweight division, a veteran of many a UFC battle. 
Neil Magny steps into the octagon at 36 years old, born in Brooklyn, New York, so not that far away from Toronto, uh, fighting out of Elevation Fight Team. He is 28 and 11 in his career, seven wins by knockout, four by submission, with two knockout losses and six submission losses. His last bout, an underwhelming performance against Ian Machado Gary at UFC 292, where he lost by unanimous decision. He's alternated wins and losses in his last six. Uh, two of his wins have been by decision. Two of his losses have been by submission. Now, the losses to Gary, uh, Gilbert Burns, and Shafkat Rachmanov. So, we're not losing to, to plugs here. He uh, does have victories over Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit, and Johnny Hendricks. At one point in 2014, he tied the record for most wins in a calendar year with five in the, in the UFC. He's been with the promotion since 2013, going uh, 21 and 10 in the UFC after a stint on The Ultimate Fighter Season 16. He made his UFC debut at UFC 157, the same card Ronda Rousey made her UFC debut debut on. I would imagine if you go back and say, hey, you know what? Magny's going to be in the promotion longer than Ronda Rousey. You probably would have won a lot of money on that night. Um, and you would have won a whole lot of money betting on Magny throughout his career. He's been a pro since 2010 with an 80-inch reach, standing at six foot three. Going up against Mike Malott out of Burlington, Ontario. 32 years old, training at House of Champions. He is 10-1-1 for his career. He has stopped all 10 victories, uh, and has actually been stopped in his uh, lone loss. So the only time he's been to the judges' scorecards, it's a decision. It's like, um, that I think of Brazil, there were some promotions back in the day where if you went to a decision, it was just adds ah, a draw. Um, so that's why you see some guys from, from way back when, their record is like, 15, 10, and 5. It's like, this guy's not just in barn burners, it's just they go to a decision, they're just, ah, fuck it, draw. I'm... I'm pretty sure I'm not making that up. Um, anyway, Malat's last bout is a submission win over Adam Fugit at UFC 289 in Vancouver. Uh, he's won six in a row since a draw in Bellator at Bellator 142. 3-0 in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. He's only been to the second round one time. He's 5-0 since moving up to welterweight. He took three years off to focus on his grappling. In that time, he was also a striking coach at Team Alpha Male. He's been a pro since 2011. Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, six foot one with a 73-inch reach. I do think that reach advantage is significant. Obviously, uh, BJJ black belt, someone who took time away from uh, mixed martial arts to just grapple fools, uh, six wins by submission, he's going to want to get this fight to the ground. Neil Magny, I think having that eight-inch reach advantage is going to be able to keep Malat at the, the at his range a little bit. I know I just used, well, he's from Canada, as an excuse to go with an underdog here, and now I'm going underdog again. Magni is plus 300 on this card. I'm giving away something from today's ticket. I understand, like, these two fighters are absolutely going in different directions, and this could be just two ships passing in the night. 100% it could be that. But Magny's losses, again, it's Gary, it's Burns, and it's Rachmanov. And the, the the Gary loss, he looked really bad in that fight. There is no question about it. Um, That was one where, like, Gary won. But did he? Because it was just a decision win. It wasn't all that impressive. Um, So I, I, I go back and forth on this one. I think at plus 300, it deserves at least a bit of a sprinkle. Um, I, Like... Magni is still a good enough fighter that that should not be the case. But, like, I, I just, I don't think Malat, well, he's certainly not on the Rachmanov, Gilbert, Burns, um, Ian Machado, Gary level, right? Like, there's no question about that. It's just a matter of how much further down is is Magni from that level now. And I, I with all due respect to, to Malat out of Burlington, Ontario, 
I don't think he's past that point. I think Magny gets the upset here. I think we're going to see a KG veteran fight, and he's going to be able to, to use, his, use his distance, use that rain control, and uh, outpoint Malat. So I, I give him the win here in this spot. That brings us to the co-main event of the evening. It is for the Women's Bantamweight Championship as Raquel Pennington takes on Maria um, Bueno Silva. Pennington is 35 years old, born in Colorado Springs, Colorado, training at Altitude MMA. For the career, she is 15 and 8 with one win by knockout, four by submission. She has been stopped twice in her career, once each by knockout and sub. Her last fight was over a year ago at Ultimate Fight Night on January 14th, 2023, where she picked up a split decision win over Ketlin Vieira. She's won five in a row since a loss to Holly Holm, where she had lost three of four against Holm, Jermaine Durandamy, and Amanda Nunes. And that Nunes fight was looked like at the time that was going to be a career-altering bout. Credit to Rocky for coming back and getting the, the career back on track. At one point, she was 5-5 five and five in her MMA career. So obviously, since then, uh, what is that? She's gone 10-3. and three. So... Something has something clicked for her along the way, and she was a deserving champion. She was not on Amanda Nunez's level on that night, quite frankly, or any night. And Nunez kicked the shit out of her. But this is I'm not gonna say it's a different Raquel Pennington, but it's a Pennington who has adjusted, and she is not going in there against uh the, the, the greatest female fighter of all time in, in Silva here. Um Silva, 32 years old, born in Brazil, training at American Top Team, 10-2-1 for her career with one no contest. I should say, I, I I'm saying like, oh, not the greatest fighter in MMA, in women's MMA. That that that's not meant as dismissive. That's saying Nunez is literally the greatest fighter in the history of the sport. Um and so Silva isn't that. that that's, that's all I'm saying. Still a, a talented fighter. Coming off of a uh, no contest in her last bout against Holly Holm back in July on the UFC on ESPN. She won by submission, but tested positive for a banned substance. It would have been her fourth win in a row with three finishes. During that fourth, or I guess this uh, four-fight unbeaten streak, uh, like I said, three finishes following a 1-2-1 one, one streak. She's coming off of the Dana White Contender Series Brazil. In the UFC uh, since 2018, she is 5-2-1 with one no contest. A pro since 2015, she stands at 5'7 with a 66.5 inch reach, which is one inch less than Pennington. I forgot to finish the bio on Pennington. Um, she's been in the UFC since 2013. The Tough 18 alum um, is 12-5 in the Ultimate Fighting Championship and has been a pro since 2012. I... Again, first of all, I have a bit of a problem with Silva being in this fight. If you're going to do drug testing, I don't think you should be able to pop for something, have the, the wind stricken from your record, and get a title shot next. That just And I get they, they've gone away from USADA, so it's just like, fuck it, man. But that just feels weird to me, that they would, would do that. So... I, I'm not a big fan of, um, of Silva getting this opportunity. Honestly, obviously she's on a roll, but Raquel Pennington in this spot, like I said, she's won five in a row. Um, and I, I think like Silva, this just feels like a big jump in competition from, um, the, the fighters. And yes, Holly Holm is a good fight. Um, but going from the fighters that she was fighting to now getting a title fight, it just feels like it's too much for me. So uh, another underdog pick on this one, I'm going Raquel Pennington. And then we get to the main event of the evening. It is Sean Strickland defending the middleweight championship for the first time against Dricus Duplessis. There has obviously been a lot of um, negativity around Sean Strickland this week and his comments uh, around a lot of things. And if you just Google Sean Strickland controversial comments, 
Google explodes because there's so many of them. This is a guy who, to put it mildly, has some controversial views on some things. Uh, I find a lot of what he talks about to be rather deplorable and um, hate a lot of the discourse that has come up this weekend, specifically on things spewed out of this asshole's mouth. So I wanted to get that out of the way because I'm going to be complimentary to the fighting style of him, and I just needed to establish this is not an awesome dude. Uh, he's 32 years old, born in Anaheim, California, training out of Millennia MMA Gym. 28 and 5, 11 wins by knockout, 4 by submission, 2 losses by knockout, 3 by decision. His last bout, the biggest of his career, a unanimous decision win over Israel Adesanya to win the UFC's middleweight championship at UFC 293. He has 3 wins in a row, um, two of them by decision, but he's 9-2 and two in his last 11, with the only losses coming to now uh, light heavyweight king Alex Pereira and Jared Cannonier, who there is no shame in losing to Jared Cannonier. He's been in the UFC since 2014. The former king of the cage middleweight champion is 15-5 and five with five finishes in the octagon, a pro since 2008, but has now reached the top of the mountain with a reach of 76 inches and a 6-foot-1 height. Uh, taking on Drickus Duplessis, 30 years old, born in South Africa, trains at Team CIT MMA, 20-2 for the career, 9 wins by knockouts, uh, 10 by submission. He's been stopped in both of his losses, once by knockout, once by submission. He gets to this spot with a win at a title eliminator against Robert Whitaker in UFC 290 with a second round TKO victory. He's won eight in a row, seven by stoppage. He's been in the UFC since 2020. He's won six in a row in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, five by stoppage. Former two division champion with EFC in the middleweight and welterweight divisions. Uh, he's also the KSW, former KSW welterweight champion. A pro since 2013, he stands at six feet tall with the identical 76 inch reach. This is a very interesting fight because the Sean Strickland that we saw in every fight in, what is that, 33 fights? In 32 of Sean Strickland's 33 fights gets his doors blown off by Drickus Duplessis. But Strickland is coming off of the best fight of his career in a uh, strategic masterpiece against Israel Adesanya back at UFC 293. If that Sean Strickland with that game plan um, shows up here against Drickus Duplessis, I think it could be a really interesting bout and a difficult one for, for Duplessis to manage. But I think, like, just saying he's awkward doesn't really describe it with, with Duplessis. Very creative in his striking. Very aggressive on the ground. I just, I don't know where there's an area where Strickland has the advantage. Um, we, we thought he would use his wrestling to take down Izzy and, and ground and pound him that way. If he takes it down uh, Duplessis, I do think we're, we're at a point in MMA where it's, oh man, don't want to take this guy down because of his work off of his back. People in MMA have kind of grown to the point where like they're they're smart enough in top control that it's really difficult to get caught when you're you're on the ground with someone. Um, but still, if you are taking down Duplessis, mentioned before, 10 wins by submission, you are taking him into an area where I would say he has the, van the advantage. I just don't know where Strickland gets over on Duplessis here. So I am going with, uh, for back-to-back -back fights, there being, I guess, we've had a run now of unsuccessful title defenses, uh, but I'm saying that continues here with Duplessis winning the middleweight championship at UFC 297. Uh, I'm going to be busy on Saturday night, so I don't believe uh, we're going to be doing an instant reaction show for UFC 297, but I am hoping to get somewhat of a, a post-fight show up as early as next weekend. Uh, sorry, as early as next week for, for this. Next weekend would, would not be early at all. Um, 
but yeah, this is, it's an interesting card. Like it's not, it's not a banger. It is a, a Canadian filled card. And quite frankly, is a really, really good TV show. But it's a meh pay-per-view. The 299 is significantly better. Um, 300 is significantly better. Th this one exists. But Canada's excited for it because we haven't had a pay-per-view in Eastern Canada anyway in a very, very long time. So that is the story from the Ultimate Fighting Championship. It's been a wild last 24 hours in the world of professional wrestling. Let's talk about it. Uh, all right, let's start with the big news out of Japan, as New Japan Pro Wrestling issued a release last night saying that after a uh, new beginning uh, in Jan uh, January 31st, the, um, the run of Kazuchika Okada in New Japan is no more, as it is announced that he is leaving, which has sent shockwaves everywhere and blew my mind. Audible gasp. When I read the news this weekend, or yesterday, uh, last night, there we go, that's the word, um, that Kazuchika Okada, the face of New Japan Pro Wrestling for a long time now, is not going to be with the promotion anymore. It is nothing short of a stunning development. And le let's look at it first from a New Japan standpoint, and then we'll get into, well, where? Um, from a New Japan standpoint, they were starting with a youth movement anyway. Right? Like, um, Sonata winning the, uh, New Japan Cup and becoming the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. And the, the announcement that you are, like, building these pillars with Umino and, uh, Suji and, and some of those guys. So, there is obviously a, a youth movement coming here. And I think it's been, like, New Japan is always great, right? Like, the, the, the shows are always phenomenal. But... Things have gotten a little bit stale at times, right? It's like, oh, wow, Okada Naito again, hey? Like, the, 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 there has been a need for a, an inflection of new blood for a little bit in New Japan Pro Wrestling anyway. Uh, they tried it with Evil and the House of Torture stuff, and it just, it didn't work. Um, but I, I think now that this really heightens it up. And it's too bad that you're not going to be able to have, uh, like, main event programs with Shota against, um, against Okada and, and stuff like that. But I, I do think this really opens the door now for a lot of possibilities for New Japan to, to make a move. I, I wonder if they get a bit more aggressive in bringing in uh, a Kiyomiya. I wonder if they get um, a bit more aggressive in pushing guys, like I've said before, a Shingo Takagi um, or, or some of the young kids. Like I wonder if this speeds up the timeline on some of them a little bit. I said they were kind of a year away from being a year away. I wonder if they do speed that up now. But th this, make no mistake about it, this is a gigantic blow to New Japan. And I, I think this being new beginning week um, is certainly fitting for what New Japan is going through at the moment, given the, the news of the week. Because it does feel, it, it is, it's the end of an era. And now with uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi moving into the president role, I'm very fascinated to see what they do with this news now and what direction they, they choose to go. So a real interesting time in New Japan, but a time where there, there's big shoes to fill and a lot of people are going to have the opportunity to step up into roles they haven't been in in uh, a long time, if ever, in the company. And so the conversation then goes, well, obviously it's WWE or AEW. And yes, like... Him showing up in Dragon Gate would obviously be 
a mildly shocking turn of events, right? Um, and so assuming it's not Pro Wrestling Noah or All Japan or something like that, it's WWE or it's AEW. And I think this one shows how the wrestling conversation has changed over the last couple of years. And I was still seeing it last night. Um, people tweeting, look, the it, it's obvious uh, he has to go to AEW. WWE would ruin him. And if this was a couple of years ago, correct. Yes, 100%. No doubt about it. You do not want uh, Kazuchika Okada or anyone going anyone anywhere near WWE. But WWE in... I would say basically every way has surpassed AEW. And that's a weird thing to say because one's a billion dollar company and one's a hundred million dollar company. So like business metrics, um, brand recognition, all of that, it's never been close. It's always been WWE. But in terms of like what wrestling fans watch for, right? Like in terms of, um, in terms of creative, in terms of match quality, in terms of the, the seriousness of the product, the WWE, I think, has taken leaps and bounds. A lot of it behind the Bloodline storyline, but you see how well they're using a Shinsuke Nakamura. You see how well they have built up um, the, the Judgment Day and the Bloodline and Sami Zayn and all of these, uh, Gunther. They, they, I think they have significantly passed AEW in terms of, of their creative. And so... I don't think it's cut and dry that it's, oh, well, of course. Yeah, he has to go to, to AEW. Why wouldn't he want to go to AEW? WWE drops the ball and, and you're going to be da 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 It's not that anymore. Triple H's WWE is, I think, creatively superior to what's going on at AEW. And, like, I, I just, I, another part of this that I, I think, like, from a, a me standpoint now, just talking as Peter Klein, I want to see him in WWE. And... I, I, like, I, I've been a WWE, WWF fan since I was two years old, so I understand, like, maybe there's a bit of a bias here, but when you think about the dream matchups that, that could be, the big ones in AEW we've seen already, not that they weren't awesome, the uh, Okada Omega storyline will define this generation of AEW, uh, or sorry, of, of New Japan, and I think will be one of the first things you think of when you think of both competitors, but we've seen it. Brian Danielson, both matches. Mwah. Chef's kiss, phenomenal. But we've seen it. Kota Ibushi, unbelievable. But we've seen it. Will Ospreay, phenomenal. But we've seen it. So, you, you think of the matches that we could get in WWE. Okada standing face-to-face -face with Roman Reigns would be so cool. Okada against, uh, healthy, Seth Rollins would be unbelievable. Okada against CM Punk. Okada John Cena, Okada Kevin Owens, Okada Gunther, which probably happened somewhere, but those would be, like, the, those are the matches I get more excited about than what AEW could offer. I, I made a list of the, the six matches uh, that, that he could have in, in these promotions. Uh, obviously, I just ran through them in WWE, but it's Reigns, Rollins, Punk, Cena, KO, and Gunther, and that was just off the top of my head. Obviously, there, there could be a bunch more. In AEW, like, we ran through, like, oh my god, Omega, well, done it. Uh, Danielson, Ibushi, Osprey, done those. So, to me, the original ones, and maybe he, he has matches with these guys in, in different places, I don't know, but just, again, off the top of my head, um, Adam Copeland, that'd be really cool to see. Um, him against Samoa Joe would be, obviously, phenomenal. Uh, Hangman Adam Page would be the other one. Malachi Black, Claudio, 
and Miro. Those would be the matches I would be excited about. And there's just, it feels like there's a significant difference between those two. And so to me, if he goes from New Japan to AEW, that feels like from a, we've seen this before standpoint, that feels like a lateral move. It feels like a, okay, that this, like, this is AEW who has had Okada on their TV before. Now they're just going to have him more regularly. And it's going to be cool that I get one of the greatest wrestlers of this generation on my TV on a weekly basis. That's fine. But if he goes to WWE, you get so many matches that we wouldn't have even dreamed of before. And in a scenario that we wouldn't have even thought of before. So... Well, a lot of people have been saying, oh, it's cut and dry. He has to be going to AEW right now. I just don't think we're in that era anymore. I think WWE has moved up on this pecking, on that pecking list. And I, I, I genuinely don't know if it were me. And I don't know the, the motivations of Kazuchika Okada at all. But if it were me, WWE honestly feels like the obvious choice in my humble opinion. Um, WWE does get some rough news this week, as in his uh, World Heavyweight title defense against Jinder Mahal, Seth Rollins tears his M MCL and uh, partially tears his menis meniscus, which uh, the timing of it is less than ideal because this is WrestleMania season. We are but a week away from the Royal Rumble. Um, so to have... So to have that situation pop up um, is really disappointing. And so now it leaves you with a, well, what do you do? On the one end, he could just wrestle through it. He's going to tear it more? Um, that would seem to be maybe the least effective way to, to do it and the, the, the least pertinent way of doing things in 2023. That feels like the old school way of doing it. Like, oh yeah, Shawn McMichaels, uh, Shawn McMichaels, Jesus. Shawn Michaels can barely walk. Put it out there in the main event of WrestleMania 14 against uh, Steve Austin. Oh, Kurt Angle. Uh, his neck's kind of broken. Might need surgery uh, on his neck and spine. Let's put him out there against Brock Lesnar in the main event of WrestleMania. It feels like that that's something from a bygone era. But this whole thing with Seth Rollins, like building to whether it is CM Punk or Cody or whoever, um, that this is a really, really big blow for the WWE. And so assuming that there is no, um, assuming that there is like no way you're going to use him as a performer, what do you do? The obvious one is Damian Priest cash in for money in the bank, right? Like Priest comes in and uh, like Rollins is cutting his, his injury promo. Like I'll be back, blah, 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 blah. Priest, kabam and ends up cashing in money in the bank and would you look at that he is the new champion um could be that definitely could be that or um i think you could get a little creative with this right like i i had been talking for a bit that you should have a damian priest cash in anyway when i did my booking wrestlemania 40 um i believe in post survivor series I had the world title being defended by Damian Priest against LA Knight. And I had Seth Rollins against CM Punk just as a, a non-title bout anyway. Um, so th there's definitely ways you could do it. You could have a tournament for it. You, you have Elimination Chamber coming up out in Australia. You could just have an Elimination Chamber match for the vacant World Heavyweight Championship and do it that way. Um, so I think there are a number of different ways you could do this. Uh, tournaments always get people fired up. Look, if you're bringing in Okada, doing a tournament and having Okada win the World Heavyweight Championship is far from the worst idea you could have. So it is really unfortunate that Seth Rollins goes down with his injury, but 
this is really, really unfortunate timing because Seth Rollins has been an MVP for the WWE for the past few years. And for him to be on this run and to have it end in a world title match against Jinder Mahal does kind of suck a little bit. So it's unfortunate timing for sure. But uh, I'll be interested to see now how the WWE pivots from that. All right, we got one more thing to do to close out the weekend. It is time for today's ticket. If you're looking for the NFL plays, that is on the football portion of this Fights in Football two-parter. Uh, let's get into it. First, we will start with the UFC, because this is the fight stuff. Um, we are going uh, Barrio as a plus 155 underdog. We got a few underdog plays on this one. Um, Barrio plus 155. Magni at plus 300. And Rocky Raquel Pennington at plus 140. I think all of those are live dogs. I wouldn't, uh, as they say in the biz, wouldn't put full unit on all of them. Those are sprinkle plays on the, the underdog, but I think there's a few underdog plays in there. Um, Evloev is um, the, the favorite in that one, but I think there's value in him by uh, him by decision, sorry, at minus 150. And in the main event, Duplessis is actually the slight underdog at plus 100. I would go with that one. So those are my five plays on the UFC card. Um, elsewhere in the world of sports tonight, I'm going the New Jersey Devils minus a goal and a half against the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Philadelphia 76ers minus five against Orlando, uh, and the New York Islanders minus a goal and a half against Chicago, because it's Chicago. A lot of these games have already started, um, at the time of my recording, so sorry for that. Uh, I just got to this a little bit late. Uh, we do have one for tomorrow, though, and it's the Philadelphia Flyers, who burned us last time, not getting burned this time. Plus one, uh, 105 against the Colorado Avalanche. That is the play. And that's the weekend. Thank you guys so much for tuning in throughout the week. One more time, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you like this video and, um, sorry, make sure you like this video and subscribe to the channel. And if you are listening in podcast form, leave a review and subscribe. That kind of stuff really does help out. Next week, a lot of focus. Obviously, conference championship in the NFL plus Oh, rumble time, baby. Going to be a whole lot of fun. Thank you guys so much, and uh, talk to you next week. I'm out.